Good morning, you guys. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Week before Christmas. Everybody who hasn't quite gone on vacation yet, I appreciate you guys being here that I get to see you guys. Uh, my name is Levi, and uh, yeah, it's just really good to see you all this morning. It's cold outside, finally. It feels like Christmas. It's just good. Um, I wanted to, uh, uh, you know, we're in Advent season, and I wanted to, I'm not going to read this whole book, I promise. Uh, but I wanted to, I wanted to show um, one of my favorite Advent traditions that um, I grew up doing with my family, uh, with my parents and my siblings, and now my wife and I do it uh, every once in a while. And it's a little Advent book. I don't know if you, if any of you guys have this, but it's um, it is the it's sweetest thing. It's, it's a, you know Advent. It's one day for uh, it's twenty five days, and it's uh, each page is a little doorway. And there's it's, each doorway is like a little, it's all unique and beautiful and all this cool artwork. And there's a little animal somewhere in all of them. Like there's a little squirrel. And uh, it's each, you open each door and it's like a different part of the Christmas stores. It's Mary and Gabriel and you go through each piece and it's just so cute. And uh, my favorite, growing up, my, my family knows this too really, really well. My favorite doorways to open were always doorway number 23 and doorway number 24 because it was the story of Simeon. And you got little, you got Simeon and the baby, baby Jesus, and uh, you got him praising the Lord in this one. And every every single year, they'd be like, "All right, you know, be the twenty third day," and they'd be like, "Who wants to read it?" And I was like, "Please." And it was, uh, I mean, that was a, it was always my favorite. But um, that's the passage we're going to be walking through today. So whenever, whenever Pastor Mark was like, "Hey, we need somebody, uh, we need somebody to preach on Simeon and Anna," I was like. Please can I do it? And he was like, yeah, of course. So uh, I'm really excited to, to preach on this this morning. Um, for the past few weeks, uh, we've been walking through, like I said, this Advent series, and we've been calling it Make Room. And uh, just a little recap for any of y'all who haven't been here um, for the whole time. Um, we started with the candle of hope. We lit the candle of hope. And uh, Pastor Ryan reminded us to make room for the unexpected as we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth and them receiving the son that they had long hoped for. And their son, who would be John the Baptist, was the one who would usher in uh, the greatest peace we could possibly receive in Jesus, um, or the greatest hope, I should say, in Jesus. Uh, We lit the candle of faith the week after that uh, as Pastor Mark walked us through what it looks like to make room for the inconvenient just like Mary did as she set an example of real faith being uprooted from her life and caring and raising the Savior of the world. And then last week we lit the candle of joy. Mark lit the candle of joy as he called us to make room for the overlooked. God chose shepherds, some of the most overlooked people in the ancient Near East, to be the first witnesses of the joyous birth of the Messiah. And today we're going to make room for waiting as we light the candle of peace. Now, uh, peace is something, is a word we use often, and I think when I say the word peace, maybe in your minds you kind of have some different contexts that maybe pop in your mind. Uh, for some, peace might be synonymous with like just finding a way to be okay with it. Like, I'm at peace even though I got fired from my job, or I'm at peace even though my car broke down. Uh, for some of you, it might be uh, referred to just the removal of something. So I'm at peace because I am not cramming for exams anymore. Or I'm at peace because I'm not fighting with my family or whatever that looks like. 
And I think in modern vernacular, I think that's fine. But uh, when we look at the biblical narrative, peace means so much more. There's so much more depth to that. Um, and I want to talk briefly about that. And this, this, if, for those of you who went through the Gospel of John with us, uh, what feels like forever ago, this might be a little bit of a review, but I think it's important. Um, peace in the Hebrew is, a, is uh, the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, I, I, that's probably pretty familiar to some of you guys, shalom. And it's a word that means peace, but it means more than that. It means a state of completeness, a state of wholeness. And uh, an example of that being Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That word, to be at peace, shalom. Shalom is used when it's referring to uh, repairing a ruptured relationship. You make that relationship whole again. It's not just, it's not just l- lacking something bad. It's replacing it with something even better. Or in 1 Kings chapter 9, uh, it talks about how Solomon finished the temple he brought shalom to the house of God. He brought completeness to the house of God. So when sin entered the world and the state of humanity and its relationship with God was ruptured, there was this, this moment of shalom was no longer present in this relationship we had with God. No longer did we have wholeness with God. And so God promised a savior, an anointed one, a Messiah who would come and who would make all things right and allow us to repair that relationship again. Uh, the Bachmans just read this passage, but I'll read it again because it's so good. Isaiah 9, 6, and the first half of 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Peace, Shalom, Prince of Shalom. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. In Christ, we are made whole, the Prince of Peace. We are made complete. So when we light the candle of peace, we aren't just talking about a lack of hecticness during the holidays, though that might play a a role in that. We light it to remember what makes us whole, what makes us complete. Like it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace, we have wholeness with God, through Lord Jesus Christ. We rest knowing that Jesus is the source of our peace and the source of our wholeness, of our completeness. In this passage today, we're going to uh, be talking about two people. We're going to be talking about Simeon, like I just mentioned, and we're going to be talking about this woman named Anna. And they are both seeking completeness in Christ. And because of the peace that they have, they have the ability to make room in their waiting. So if you guys have your Bibles, open them up with me. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 38. And uh, if you, well, I'll have it on the screen behind me. And also, if you don't have, uh, I know you guys have scripture on your phones, which is fantastic. Um, but if you guys need a copy of God's Word or you know someone in your community that needs a copy of God's Word, we have some in, at the Connect Point. Just like take it with you and bring it home with you. We want you guys to have a copy of that. Um, but let's, uh, let's walk through it. Luke chapter 2, 22 through 38. You guys can follow along. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons... 
Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and, when as a, and then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of, Israel, or the redemption of Jerusalem. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for the time that we get to spend in it, for your love and for our ability to celebrate the birth of your son this season, God. I pray that as we uh, dive into your word that you give us open minds and open hearts to experience what you need us to learn and to know this morning, God. We love you because you loved us first. It's in your son's name I pray, amen. So uh, just a heads up to you guys. Uh, I know uh, uh, usually there's like this, you know, we go through scripture and there's like these three points you have to walk away with. I am going to give you some takeaways at the end, but for the most part, we're just going to we're just going to sit in God's word and we're going to see how cool it is. So uh, if you're looking for those three points, uh, you won't find them. But we will have a big we will have a big takeaway at the end. So don't worry. All right, let's dive in. 22 through 24, and when the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This sets the context for what we're experiencing this morning. Um, In the Mosaic law in Leviticus chapter 12, after giving birth to a son, Uh, the mother was considered unclean for a period of 40 days. You can go in Leviticus chapter 12 and see kind of how that's divvied up. And after those 40 days, she would bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a dove or a pigeon for a sin offering, and then she would be proclaimed clean. There's a cultural detail that I really wanted to point out that we aren't going to really sit on a lot this morning, but I think it's important, so I wanted to point it out. In Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8, uh, gives us instruction on how impoverished Israelites were able to fulfill these sacrificial duties. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. Jesus was raised in a low-income household, a very low-income household. And there's a lot of depth to that truth, and we just don't have time for it this morning, but it bears mentioning that is, that is the life Jesus was raised in. He was not raised in a wealthy family by any means, especially by uh, Israelite means. 
So the context, they're in the temple, they're fulfilling these sacrificial duties and uh, after the birth of their first son. Verse 25 through 27a. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. So there's this man named Simeon, and there's a lot of really cool depth to his name and what that means. And so I want to sit with that for a little bit because it is so cool. Uh, Simeon is a name that originates from the Hebrew word Shema. And uh, it, li- it literally means to hear or to listen. Um, it's the, actually the first word in a prayer called the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I have the first part of it up here behind me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You guys might recognize this one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, Israelites would pray this prayer to start their day and to end their day, and it's called the Shema because that's the first word in the prayer. It's hear, Shema, hear, O Israel. And in the ancient Hebrew, super-duper cool, to hear something and to obey something was a synonymous idea. There's actually, there is not a word in ancient Hebrew for obey, like to obey. That is not a word in ancient Hebrew, which is, which is cool on a lot of fronts, but if, if you are an... Israelite child and you're going about your day and your parent says, hey, I need you to do something, you wouldn't say, okay, mom, I hear you and then I will obey you. It was, you would respond with Shema, which is, I hear you and because I hear you, I will obey you. Like, to hear something meant you will obey. If you hear what God says, you you were called to do it. You were to do it. Which again, is why Simeon being called Simeon is so awesome because it it describes Simeon as this righteous and devout man, which means he loved the Lord. He walked in his ways in a way pleasing to God. He followed the law. He did it diligently and he did it consistently, which means scripture is essentially saying there's this man named listen and obey and he listened and obeyed the Lord. It's like, it's this cool little, like if you're, if you are an ancient Israelite and you see his name is Simeon, they go, Oh, he's, oh, and he's, he's a righteous man. Okay, so he's, his, his namesake. He's doing what his name says he's going to do. It's a super cool, uh, anyway, that's, it's just very, very cool for what he was called to do and who he was as a person. Simeon also had the Holy Spirit upon him, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, for the comfort of Israel. Isaiah chapter 40, verses one through two says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The comfort for Israel was the end of, the, of warfare and iniquity. God's children had suffered long enough and so the Lord was sending his anointed, his Messiah to make all things right. And Simeon is told that he's gonna see this Messiah before he dies. Now I think we we often miss the significance of this because we get scripture as a whole and we go, well, yeah, yeah, like that's how the Christmas story goes. But the children of Israel have been waiting for this moment for thousands of years. Like every single prophet from the beginning is saying, he's coming. This guy, 
that's going to make all things right, all this war and all of this turmoil that we are experiencing and us, you know, this back and forth, but like, he's coming. The one who's going to make all things right is coming. He's, it's happening. The one in Genesis 3, the one who's going to crush the head of the snake, like, it's happening. It's going to happen. And the Holy Spirit tells Simeon, you're going to see this man, this, this, this Messiah, before you die. This thing that every family member you've ever had for all of time and space has been waiting for this moment, and you get to see it. And so, as his name implies, when Simeon was led to the temple by the Spirit, he shamad. He listened, and he obeyed. All right, second half of 27 through 33. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. So Simeon comes in, and when he holds Jesus in his arms, all he can do is just praise. He just lifts up a song of praise. Like I said, Simeon is experiencing the moment that everyone has been waiting for. The entire, not just him in his lifetime, but the whole world has been waiting for. The arrival of this baby, every prophet has been pointing towards the Savior of the world. And Mary and Joseph are amazed. And I think it's really cool that, that Luke adds this detail that Mary and Joseph are like, oh, because it's, it's, it reminds us of a reality. I think that we, having all of Scripture, we kind of, again, are a little bit spoiled because we go, okay, the shepherds happened, and then the temple happened, and then a couple verses later, Jesus is 12 years old, and then a half a chapter later, he's in his 30s, and it's just boom, 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 boom. And we see this Christmas story as this, like, this back-to-back-to-back series of events that all happen just like clumped together. But that's not true. Like Jesus, baby Jesus, is he's a 40-day-old baby at this point. So it means the shepherds show up, Mary and Joseph are in awe, and then that's 40 days of just life. Like Jesus, Jesus is a baby. Like not like, like he's fully God, but he's also fully a baby. So he cries, he needs to eat, he poops, he needs his diaper changed. Like these are, this is their first kid. Like I'm not a parent, but like I've, I've had conversations with, with y'all who are before and it's not like, oh, parenting is so easy. Like this is their first child. Plus M- Mary and Joseph, culturally speaking, are like kind of on the outskirts because by all accounts, they see Mary as this woman who like had this baby out of wedlock and it's this huge deal. So they're like figuring this out and they're, like, I, scripture doesn't tell us exactly what they were feeling leading up to this point, but I imagine they're probably exhausted. 40 days of just life. And then they go to the temple, like the devout people they are, they offer up the sacrifice, and then this elderly man comes up and asks to hold their baby and just begins celebrating this child as the Messiah. And they're just in awe. They're just like, oh my gosh. So I, I don't. Again, I don't know everything they were feeling other than the fact that they marveled. But I'm so glad that God gives us moments like that just in life where we know in our brains the truth. Like Mary knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Like they knew what was happening. But also like 
we also know Jesus is Messiah. And as we go through life, sometimes we hit those moments where we're just like, <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. And God gives us these little checkpoints to remind us of his faithfulness and his providence and his love for us. And it's cool that even, like, people weren't coming up to Mary and Joseph being like, oh my gosh, you guys are the parents of the Messiah. Can I have your autograph? They were like normal people, like mixed in with the crowd, poor, normal people. And God gives them this moment. I think it's so cool. Okay, verse 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fallen rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14 says, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both, ho- both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Simeon is revealing some of the hard truths uh, that we don't usually talk about around Christmas time. Jesus will be the rise and also the fall of many people. For those of us who call God King, call God Lord, we submit to His rule. He is our Savior. We know He died for us. Our life is dedicated to Him. Jesus is a sanctuary, He's a haven, He's a safe place. Jesus took the punishment we rightly deserved on the cross. God's wrath is poured out on His Son, the wrath that is deserving to be poured out on us. God's wrath is satisfied, and before God, we are justified in the sanctuary of Jesus. But not everybody sees Jesus as a sanctuary. For some, Jesus is nothing more than something that you trip over on your way to doing life the exact way that you've always wanted to do it, regardless of Jesus exists or not. Simeon also reminds Mary that as the mother of the Savior of the world, she's going to experience unimaginable grief and sorrow. In John chapter 19, we see Mary literally standing at the foot of this criminal's cross, watching, his, watching her son, who was beaten beyond human semblance, die for the sins of the world. It's a sober reminder, I think, of it's hard to talk about Like Christmas, we want to keep Christmas in this bubble and Easter in this bubble, but you can't talk about Christmas without also talking about Easter. Like the reason Jesus is born so that he would die and rise again. Like the cross was not a plan B. The cross was the plan. And so when Jesus is born, the plan that will happen is that he will die and he will rise again. And so Simeon is telling us the hard truth that Mary will be experience unimaginable grief. All right. Last, uh, last three verses of the passage, verse 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when, from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We meet this woman named Anna in the final three verses, and we are told that she is a widowed prophetess who is advanced in years. Uh, My wife, Rachel, and I were talking about this actually yesterday. Um, Anna and Mary almost feel like... uh, 
opposite ends of kind of this, the opposite extremes of this kind of cultural spectrum. You have a teenage woman who everyone sees as pregnant out of wedlock in Mary. And then you have this woman she's interacting with who is elderly, a widow, and for some unknown reason um, did not get remarried. So by all cultural standards of the day, these two women are in different ways irrelevant to the culture. And yet... Anna's life is described as one that is fully dedicated to being in God's presence, focusing on worship through prayer and fasting. This woman refuses to do anything other than be in God's presence. But the thing about this, as I was you know, reading through it, that kind of caught my eye and I kept focusing in on was uh, the fasting portion like prayer and worship, and again, it depends on what kind of denomination you were raised in, but like prayer and worship feels very normal, but for some of us, fasting might feel different or maybe it feels right on the money. I don't know how y'all were, kind of what denomination you were raised in, but we see fasting a lot in scripture. Um, it's used in a lot of different contexts, in times of sorrow, in times of repentance, in times of like deep contemplation, trying to make big decisions. But regardless of the reason, fasting, the purpose of fasting was often to draw closer to God, to make God the center of your reality. And so you would remove hunger from your world. And as you were feeling kind of these hunger pains, uh, your mind would remember that you aren't satisfied by this world. You're satisfied by the Lord. You're satisfied by the King. And that your satisfaction should be in the everlasting God. So if you're experiencing sorrow and you've lost a loved one or something bad has happened to you, 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 you fast and you go, Lord is my satisfaction. The Lord is, is where I find my completeness, my wholeness. Uh, or, or even, you know, if you're making a big decision, a lot of times you see people about to go to war and they're like, what do we do? And so they fast and they're praying and, and it's, they want to make decisions that are, that are pleasing to the Lord and that are upright in God's eyes. And while Anna's in the temple one day, she sees this baby. And I don't know, I don't know if she was led by the spirit or if she just kind of like heard Simeon praising the Lord like scripture doesn't tell us, but she knows, she goes over, she knows this baby's the Messiah and she starts telling everybody who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Like Simeon, Anna is looking forward to the day that God sends his Messiah to bring peace, to bring wholeness. And that day arrived and it's a big deal. Uh, I was talking to a couple different people about this um, the other day, I, think I was talking to Isaac, I think I was talking to Adam, and uh, I, uh, th- this passage, people are like, why is this your favorite passage? And I don't, like, I don't have, like, a clear answer, I don't think, um, I just have, like, a, like feelings, <laughs> and so it, the way I, I described it is, like, I don't know, Simeon is holding this baby, and it's, again, it's a baby, and, you know, you've, you've held, I'm sure y'all have all held babies before. You look in these, like, beautiful, innocent eyes, and you're just like, oh, like, oh, she's so cute. It's a beautiful baby. But this baby that Simeon is holding, those innocent eyes have seen all of time and space. Like, every inch of reality has been perceived by those baby eyes. Like, I, I don't have, I don't have a, I don't even have a word 
to describe kind of what that is, but it's, it is like, like the baby that Simeon is holding is the one who thought of the idea of Simeon, thought of the idea of Levi. Like, like you're holding that baby and that baby participated in creation. Like, I, I don't know if it's the humility that blows me away. Like the creator of the cosmos, the creator of sunshine is like, I will experience humanity. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know, but it's just, it's just cool. And I love it. It's just awesome that we are loved by a God who's not just in this spot that's like, you have to reach me. We are loved by a God who says, you can never reach me, but I will come down to you. It's just good. Um, yeah, just feelings. I don't know, it's, but it's so good. I love it. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you all a question before we really kind of start winding down. Um, and it, it, it's a big question, and it's kind of a, it might be a little bit of an intense question, but I want you guys to just kind of think about it in your brains. Um, what is the deepest longing of your heart? And when I say that, I know, like, I know we're in church and be like, peace on earth. Like, I, like, I, like that's like, I get that. And that's like, I, I love, but I want, like, we're human beings. Like, we're all human beings. Like, I'm, ta- I'm talking about the thing that you long for so badly that it hurts. Like, I've talked to y'all before. I know, like, we're all human beings. I know you guys are thinking it in your brains right now. Whatever that thing is that you just, you want it so badly that there's always, when you don't have it, there's always a little part of you that's just a little unsatisfied. I want you guys to think about that in your brain. Follow-up question. Again, this is a little bit, not provocative, but maybe it can be. Uh, Could these longings be a gift from God? I want to go through uh, our characters this morning because I think they set really good examples for us um, of how at least I would like to be. Like Simeon, I want the thing that I look forward to, the thing that I want more than anything in this world to be our Savior coming to make all things new. And for those of you who uh, hear that, and go, well, yeah, if I was, but if I, if I was like Simeon and God had told me that he was coming, like that would make me feel a lot better. And I get that we didn't know the, we don't know the exact day and we don't know if it's going to be in our lifetime, but we know like, this is not, this is not something that is, it's not a human hope. It is a biblical eternal hope. It is something that is assured. It is fact, like, like pick a page it is assured that the king will return in glory, not as a baby, but as the king of the universe who makes all things right. That is 1,000% assured. It's not a, I wonder if it'll, it will happen. Jesus will return and make all things new. We do know it. Why isn't that our longing? Like, again, something we know for an absolute fact. 
And I, and I say that kind of out of one side of my mouth because it, it's definitely life. It's harder than it looks. Like Anna, I want to see the opportunity God gives me to fast from the things I long for in this life. I want God to push me to long for the second advent of Jesus, to see my lack of fulfilled world, worldly longings as an opportunity, an opportunity to get excited for what Jesus will do when he comes again and makes all things new. Like, and again, I know that that's way, like the things that we long for, if, if you follow Jesus a lot of the times the thing that we long for most are like good things. I don't even need, I don't need to give you all examples. I like you have it in your brains and I know half of the time when we pray for the stuff, it's God, why aren't you giving me this thing? Or why aren't you taking this thing away? Because the thing that I want is good. It's a good thing. I can read your word and it says, this is a good thing blessed by God. And I know it's good because I see it all over the place in every Christian preacher everywhere is like, this is a good thing. You should totally do it. And I want it, but I can't get it. And I never have it. And I, but I want it. Like, I, I get that. I have those two. I know that in my heart. Like, I know that. I don't know God's timing. And I'm really, really bad at being okay with it. I don't know, I feel like sometimes we have this tendency as Christians to say when we talk about God's timing, like it's a, when we say, oh, it's all in God's timing, the implication is that we'll still get what we want in this life. Like, you're not getting it now, but God will give it to you later. What if he doesn't? Like, that's, that's the hard part. What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't give me what I want? Is that, is that Okay. What does it look like for me in those moments of waiting to see it as an opportunity to say, man, I want this so bad. Like Anna in, his, in her fasting, man, I want this so bad, but when I don't have it, I'm reminded of the fact that all I need is Jesus. That Jesus, and I know that's the most Christian-y thing you can possibly say, but it's so true that that thing that I want more than anything over here is just a reflection of what I can have in absolute perfection from Jesus. Like, again, things over here, half the time, I'm not going to give you examples, you know it in your brains, they're good things, and they are, at the very core, a longing for community, intimacy, uh, peace, depth, I don't know, and all of those things we get from Jesus. And again, I know I'm saying that out of one side of my mouth as I'm going to go home and be like, why can't I, God, I just want this. And I'm not saying you should stop praying for the things you long for. Scripture says that we should do that. Pray to the Lord. He wants to give good gifts to his children. But what if in God's divine plan, this is not a part of our story? Here's my challenge to you guys this morning. I want to make room in our waiting, to long for the second advent. I want us to make room to long for the second advent. I think we lit the candle of peace for a reason this morning. 
We don't find shalom. We don't find peace, wholeness, and completeness in anything this life has to offer. I was, uh, Joshua Guest is our our senior dude in FSM, and we're walking through uh, the follow curriculum together. And we just talked about uh, like the idols kind of in life, and a lot of those idols are really good. And oh my gosh, for me, like I'm, I'm married now, and marriage is such an idol for me. Like anything you put above God, I am I idolize marriage so much, and I'm married right now, and I can really base my wholeness and completeness on how healthy my marriage is with Rachel. Like I do that a lot, and that's not right. That's not a good thing I should do. There's nothing in this life, even the amazing stuff. That makes us whole. The purpose of these Advent seasons is about remembering and celebrating the first Advent of Jesus when he came as a baby as we make room to wait with hope for the second Advent of Jesus when he comes again to make all things new. I'm going to go ahead and welcome the band back up. Um, and we're going, to sing, uh, we're going to sing one more song. And it's, it's literally called Make Room, which is like the best like roll credits for, for the Advent season. Um, and uh, Brett's talked about this before. He's really good. Brett's really good about being real, just like being real about where we are. And uh, he's mentioned this before, but the, the lyrics in the chorus are, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. And that is a terrifying thing to say. Because what, what, is, what does it look like when God, what, what God wants to do in our lives is not what I want to do. Like, I will make room for you to do whatever I want you to do is so easy to say. That sounds awesome. I would love that. Asking God to do whatever he needs to do, which he will, is terrifying. And as we sing... I want us to remember that our ultimate waiting isn't for anything this life has to offer. Our waiting is in the one who humbled himself and took on flesh so that we could have life in the first place. And again, I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm just kind of instinctively a, a people pleaser. And so whenever I was talking to Rachel about this as we were driving in, I was like, I'm a little nervous to preach this passage because... Whenever I say, hey, that thing that you want, like it, I don't want it to come across as that thing that you want, just stop worrying about it. Just love Jesus more. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that in those moments, and I think what scripture is trying to teach us is in those moments like Simeon, like Anna, when we are just longing for something that is good, that scripture says is good. Like I, again, I don't have enough time to just talk about the longings of my heart. Some of you may know them. But I, there are things that I long for that are good, that scripture says that is a good thing. And I don't have them. And I want them. And what if I never get them? Can I, am I going to be happy about that? Probably not. But it's not what makes me whole. Jesus makes me whole. 
Jesus makes us whole. And I think the least we can do for the one who gave us life in the first place is to make room to wait and to trust and to long for the one who makes all things new. Would you guys pray with me? God, you are so good. And I know you're good even when life is hard. And sometimes in those moments, Lord, whenever I I feel lonely or abandoned or not listened to, I know that those are lies because you are with me wherever I go. You hear everything that I say and you are with me. Lord, I pray for in this season, God, that we make room to wait for you. We make room to long for you. And in those moments where our desires are just not satisfied, that we find our satisfaction in you. Thank you for Christmas. Not just so that we can celebrate it, God, but because the moment that we are celebrating is the moment that changed the world forever. It's a moment that led to freeing us from our sin. God, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us first. It's in your sin's name I pray. Amen.